Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessed joy it is for us to be able to share as far as Bible study is concerned uh, on this Thursday. Uh, I thank God for all of you all who are joining us as far as online is concerned. And I take wonderful delight in the mere fact that uh, you are continuing this journey with us as we walk through Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. I want to, if I could, uh, start us off with a word of prayer, and then we will move forward as far as working through uh, Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 19. And I believe for today, we're going to go to verse 25. Uh, so we're going to start at verse 19 of the third chapter, and we're going to go to verse 25. And as we prepare to, to do this, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. God, we thank you right now for the wonderful opportunity to study your word, to uh, glean from your word, to learn more about who you are. We pray right now, God, that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, that the master rabbi will show up, teach us your precepts, and let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. God, if you would, in your own sovereign way. Show yourself mighty and show yourself strong. Right now, God, in your son Jesus, we lift up the people of Ukraine uh, who have been invaded by the atheistic nation of Russia. And, and God, we pray that uh, this will come to uh, uh, a quick resolution soon. And so right now, we bombard the throne of heaven um, to lift up those people um, right now. So God, um, we're living in such a tumultuous world that is dealing with a lot of everything. So um, Marantha, Lord, come quickly. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let us go to... Um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 through verse 25, and I'm going to uh, read it and ask you all to just highlight, you know, a few things that will hopefully and prayerfully um, you can look back on at some other time. And let's see what, what the Lord has to say as far as our time is concerned. Starting at verse 19 of Galatians chapter 3. What purpose then does the law serve? And if you would highlight the phrase, highlight the word purpose. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. So I want you to highlight all of that phrase and I want you to circle the word mediator. Verse 20. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. I want you to circle the word mediator and then I want you to highlight the phrase uh, does not mediate for one only, but God is one. 
Verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? And if you would, circle the word promises. Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Verse 22. But the scriptures has confined all under sin. If you would, underline the phrase, but the scripture has confined all under sin. That the promise by faith, if you will highlight the phrase, promise by faith in Jesus Christ, highlight all of that, might give, be given to those who believe. And if you would, uh, underline the word who believe. But before faith came, circle the word faith, we were kept under the guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Verse 24, therefore, the law was our tutor, circle the word tutor, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Highlight the phrase justified by faith. But after faith has come, circle the word faith, we are no longer under a tutor. And if you would, Circle the word tutor, draw a line from the word tutor in verse 25 to the word tutor in verse 24. <clears throat> All right. Okay. So hopefully and prayerfully you all have all of that kind of highlighted, circled, underlined. Um, I want to start off today's teaching with this profound statement that Paul in verses 19 through 25 is lifting up the aspect of justification by faith. Okay, so you have justification by faith on one side and you have condemnation by the law on the other side. Okay, so again, Paul is really lifting up this idea of being justified by faith. And one of the things that I want to remind us is how God established a covenant with Abraham even before the law came into existence. The covenant that God established with Abraham was predicated upon Abraham's faith, not his obedience to a law. Okay? So therefore, the concept of faith comes way before the law, but the concept of faith really lays out the preconditions upon which the law is established. All right. So even God in giving the law to Moses, as well as spelling out the Levitical laws and things of that sort, really is predicated upon the idea of faith. So notice this. 
that the law is really bracketed by faith. Faith before the law, faith after the law. So what's the purpose of the law? And that's what Paul is raising. That is what Paul is raising. Paul raises the fact that, first of all, the law is given because of our sins. The law is given to let us know you are a sinner. And the law was given to restrain us from sinning to show us what happens when what break the law. Okay. But here's the other thing that I want you to know. And I want you to pick this up in verse 19 that notice it says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Transgressions ain't nothing but a big word for sin until the seed should come whom the promise was made. And it was appointed to angels by the hand of a mediator. The law was never meant to be permanent. It was temporary. It was to serve until the seed come. Who is the seed? The seed is none other than Jesus Christ. All right. So first of all, the law was given because of our transgressions. Second of all, the law was given because it was meant to be temporary. And thirdly, the law is inferior because of the manner in which it is given. Now, what are you talking about, Pastor? Here's what I'm trying to lay out for you. First of all, God made the promises to Abraham prior to the law ever coming into being. The law was meant to be uh, established by a mediator, and there were two mediators as far as the law is concerned. One was an angel that represented God, and the other one was Moses that represented the people. So if you remember the story of Moses, you remember how whenever God wanted to deal with the nation of Israel, God went through the mediator known as Moses. And whenever uh, Moses wanted to deal with God for the people, God went to Moses and laid out his complaints and his concerns for the people. So the angels would tell uh, whoever God wanted to deal with at that time how things were going to go down. Uh, he did that with uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He did it with the patriarchs. He also did it with um, uh, Moses when we talk about uh, God interacting as far as the people are concerned. But Moses really had probably the more intimate relationships with God because the Bible says that God talked to Moses like a friend. So let's unpack this. Let's unpack verse 25. I mean, not 25, verse 19. Because the law had two functions. First of all, to show us our sins. And second of all, to reveal the will of God and show us how to live. Now, we all know, don't we? We all know, don't we, how negative the law can be. We all know how the law shows us how wrong we are. And when we break that law, we break God's heart. All right. So negatively, the law pointed out our sins and it really showed how impossible it was to please God by trying to obey all the laws. Now, according to um, uh, the understanding of, of, of the Jewish laws, 
there were over 600 different things that uh, the Hebrews were expected to do. And it was the idea that if you broke one of them, you what? Broke all of them. So if you broke one aspect of the law, you broke the whole law. In other words, if, if you broke one aspect of the law, so say for instance, um, you, you, you ate wrong, you ate the wrong diet. Well, as far as the law is concerned, you broke all the laws, including the Ten Commandments. <laughs> now, that's crazy. But that's how the law basically looked upon. So as, as we drill down, this, this is what I, I want us to understand. Is that when we see in verse 19 how it was added until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Again, who's the seed? Jesus Christ. So here, here is what God really is doing as far as verse 19 is concerned. God gave a promise to Abraham, predicated upon Abraham's faith. The law focused on the actions of those who had received the law. The covenant that God made with Abraham shows that faith is ultimately the only way that you and I can engage in a relationship with God and ultimately be saved. The law shows how to obey God in grateful response. Now, here's what I want to drop on you. Faith did not get rid of the law. Because remember, Abraham had faith. The law shows up after Abraham started walking by faith. So faith does not know the law, but the more we know God, the more we see how sinful we are, how pitiful we are, how pathetic we are, how sad we are, how bad off we are. All right. So once you realize how bad off you are, then we'll be driven to depend upon Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Now, this is where I really want to lay some things down. When you realize how pitiful, pathetic, sad, and impetuous we are when it comes to the law, it should make you understand, I need Jesus because I can't do this law thing on my own. <laughs> so, let me move forward because all of us on this lesson, all of us who go to church, all of us who don't go to church, all of us who believe in God, all of us who don't believe in God, we're nothing but outlaws. And until we have a saving, authentic, transformative, redemptive, liberating relationship with God through Jesus Christ, guess what? We're going to continue to fall short. We will continue to mess up. And here's the unfortunate reality, because even though Jesus, by faith, has freed us, many of us fall into the trap 
of trying to earn our salvation. We add human traditions and standards and rules to our faith. In other words, we slip back into getting on the hamster wheel of performance to earn God's approval. And we want to feel good. But I want to let you know your feelings are so finicky because our emotions are always ever changing. And when we depend upon emotion to establish a relationship with God, we're going to fall short because depending on how we're feeling that day, there are times when we may not feel like we are in a relationship with God and you cannot base your relationship with God upon your feelings. It must be based upon your what? Faith. So when I look at verse 20, let me press on through here because verse 20 really starts driving this thing home because verse 20 says, now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Huh? All right. Let me unpack that. Let me unpack that. This is, this is some good stuff. Now the mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is is one. So to have a mediator means that there's more than what? One party. All right. So you got one person here, one person here, mediator in the middle. Okay. All right. Uh, for example, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a sports fanatic. I, I love basketball. I love football. And there are times when you have uh, uh, a breakdown as far as uh, collective bargaining agreements that take place between, quote, the owners and the players. And you have the lawyer for the owners and or the commissioner and the lawyer for the players um, or the uh, executive director. And they're engaging in conversation. Well, you know, they kind of represent those two different entities. But there are times when they can't come to a resolution. So what they wind up doing is calling for an outside arbitrator or mediator to mediate. And they basically stand by the agreement of the mediator. So the mediator is a person that works between two or more parties uh, to communicate an agreement to settle a dispute. So God, through the angels, mediated the law to Moses who then gave it to the people. And the law is sort of like a, a covenant or a contract and it's valid as long as both sides keep their part of the agreement. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem with the covenant that God established with Israel. God kept God's part, but the children of Israel did not keep theirs. And the main one that the children of Israel would break was that law or the commandment that said thou shalt not have any other God before me. Israel was unfortunately falling into the trap of idolatry. But God kept God's promise to Abraham without a mediator. Okay. God stayed with Abraham, God dealt with Abraham directly 
And basically what God did was say, listen, Abraham, I'm coming directly to you. This is how we're going to flow. All right. So when it talks about how uh, in verse 20, now mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. This is where I want to kind of drill down on some things because this is a theological statement that I want us to understand and appreciate. And I want you to understand that God, that Paul was not putting down uh, the lawgiver Moses, but really what he is doing, he is lifting Jesus above Moses to show that if you really want to have a relationship with God, Jesus Christ now becomes what? Our mediator. So, so what does this mean when it says God is one? Well, first of all, God being one really refers to the unity of the Godhead. Okay. So when we say um, that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, creator, redeemer, sustainer, God is one in the sense as far as the unity of the Godhead and how God operates in God's will. In other words, God does not need anybody to fulfill God's commandments in the world. Now, we call Jesus our mediator between God and us. And I believe that if you were to read First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. Yet Jesus is God. So even when we are dealing with Jesus, we are what? Dealing with God. And so when we say that God is one and Jesus is the mediator, Jesus mediates to God for us. So we got God mediating to God for us while depositing God in us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. All right. It is also this lifting up of Deuteronomy. Uh, where it talks about how hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is what one. All right. So we do not serve. We do not serve. A three headed God. We do not serve three different gods. We do not serve modalities of God. All right. Now, I'm going to say something as far as Trinity is concerned, because Trinity is perhaps one of the most mysterious uh, understanding or doctrines when it comes to the essence of who God is as far as our reality is concerned. You and I cannot define Trinity. We can best describe it. Okay. the three-person God working in flawless harmony to bring about our salvation by grace. When God saved us, God did it on God's own. God did not save us through an angel. God did not save us through an apostle. God did not save us through a pastor. God did not save us through a priest. God did not save you through your mama or your daddy. God did it on God's own through who? The person of Jesus Christ by what? The conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
that that that's the one God. That's the one that you and I are called, commissioned, and consecrated to worship. All right. That that's that's the God. That's the God. Let, let me let me move on. So so Paul said, is the law then against the promise of God? No. Pa Paul is not dogging out the law. Um, pa pa Paul is not trying to, for lack of a better word, dismiss the law. But really what Paul is trying to do is show, hey, let me show you what the real intent of the law is. All right. Because Judaizers were trying to insinuate that Paul was saying the law was evil. And Paul was like, no, we're not even going down that road. Okay. But here is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying if salvation could have come by the law, if the people were able to keep it perfectly, but they couldn't. All right. If, if salvation could have given us eternal life, the only way that the law could have given us salvation is that we what keep the law perfectly. Now, if you don't take anything else, I want you to take this, 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 this away from, from our sharing at this moment. While the law is not evil because it's very good, but it ain't good enough for salvation. <laughs> the law is very good, but the law ain't good enough for salvation. All right. Let me say it one more time. The law is good enough, but it ain't good enough for salvation. And, and, and Paul really drills this down in, um, uh, as we move uh, to verse 22 because he wants us to understand and check this out in verse 22, but the scripture has confined all under sin. In other words, the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner to sin. Okay. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who what? Believe. Sin has affected all of humanity without discrimination. Now, I know we're living in a day and a time where there are a whole lot of people who don't like to be called a sinner. You offend some folks when you call them a sinner especially in these postmodern, post-Christian, even anti-Christian culture as far as America is concerned. We don't like to be referred to as sinners. As a matter of fact, somebody wanted to even change the words of amazing grace. The words amazing grace, how sweet the sound that what saved a wretch like me. Nobody wants to be referred to as a wretch, but guess what? We are a wretch undone. We are sinners. That language doesn't translate well into this culture today, but we just have to admit what we are, all right? And what must be understood is that the scriptures speak with one voice when it describes the human condition, sinner. 
That's why we're dealing with COVID-19 centers. That's why there's war breaking out between Russia and Ukraine. And we don't know how this is going to impact the rest of the world center. That's why we are dealing with sickness and death center. This is why we have breakdown as far as the family is concerned center. This is why culture is in such a flux today center. Uh, This is why we have racism, sexism, classism center. We are all sinners. Whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, whether you are an atheist, agnostic, or a disciple, sinner. That's our human condition. And we are prisoners without parole on death row. Every time we breathe, we basically break the law. And it is through the Bible that you and I come to an understanding of what it means to have a right relationship with God that is not predicated upon our works, but it is based upon our faith in who? The person of Jesus Christ. Okay. I know we don't like to be referred to as sinners. I know that we're living in a time where people, ooh, they shudder to hear that word, I'm a sinner. And, and even when they accept the term, they usually stay conditioned so that, well, I'm not as bad of a sinner as so-and-so. Well, since no one is perfect, I guess I'm a sinner too. Now, now here, here, is, here, 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 here is the problem when we refer to ourselves as sinners that we tend to do that does not bode well. First of all, we start engaging in comparisons. <laughs> and God knows we hear that what all the time in this day and time. Um, we would say, well, you know, I'm not as bad as her. Or, or, or I'm not as, you know, good as him. So we view our moral state by comparing ourselves with others. So we either have this air of inferiority or air of superiority. But guess what? When it comes to sin, it is what it is. Okay. And here is the bombshell that I'm getting ready to drop on all of us right now. You and I need to stop making excuses because somebody is worse than we are. You can't even gain a good understanding of our commonality of sin because you're trying to compare yourself to somebody else. All right, just like, check this out, just like the breaking of one law meant you broke all the laws then guess what? All of us are what? Breaking all the laws if we use the law as the common denominator. But here's the other thing that that I think that's going to hopefully and prayerfully bless you as far as what I'm getting ready to drop on you. Stop using what I call the righteousness scale. 
And what do I mean by that? Many of us think that when we get to heaven, that the only way we're going to get in is that God's going to take our what we have done in this life and put it on the scale. And, and he's going to weigh the scale. And if the scale is more right, then you're going to make it into heaven. And if it's more wrong, then you're going to go to hell. In other words, we, we, we think of good and bad actions as weight. Okay. So the more good we do, the more it'll weigh down on the side of righteousness. And many of us think that God is going to be sitting on the throne, keeping a record of the balance of the good and bad in our lives and allowing us into heaven based on whether our good outweighs the bad. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but that's a tough way to live and it's even a worse way to die. Which means that for, for and, 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 here's what, and here's what I'm getting ready to really mess us up with. Because when we try to live like that, we fail to understand that even if you do good, that's what you are expected to do. So you don't get no extra points for good actions. Okay. That could be charged and weighed against the evil you do. It's something you're supposed to do. In other words, <laughs> your good deeds has no effect on the scale. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, your righteousness, the, the, the good things you do has no effect on scale. And if y'all don't believe me, if y'all don't believe me, there's a story in, in Luke uh, chapter 17 where, where it says, and the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith and the Lord said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the root and planted by the seed, and it would obey you. And which of you having the servant plowing or attending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which are commanded to you saying, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Wow. We have done what was our what duty to do. All right, let me let me let me let me continue to press a little bit further. So when you look at where we are, beloved, it's by faith. And before the faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which, re which afterward be revealed. How is faith revealed? Now, well, I want you to notice something. That in verse 23, faith seems like it is now becoming what personified. Because this faith that we're talking about now 
is the person of Jesus Christ. Right. But before faith came, we were what kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. This is referring to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and our response to Jesus in faith. All right. You and I, prior to the coming of Jesus, were prisoners of the law because the law always kept showing us what, how bad we were. It kept us in trouble because every time we what, broke the law, it was considered a sin. It was considered an evil. The aspect of sin basically means to what? Miss the mark. All right. Now, let me get to verse 24 because this is where I want to kind of close in, drop some nuggets, and then call it a day. Because when I look at verse 24, it says, therefore, the law was our tutor. All right. To bring us to Christ that we might be what justified by faith. But after faith come, we no longer need or we're no longer under a tutor. All right. So I want to throw out this big word. Some of us may have heard it. It's called pedagogy. Pedagogy. Um, pedagogy. And, and, and I want you to really uh, appreciate this word, pedagogy. And there's a lot to be said about this word, pedagogy. Because when you and I look at this word pedagogy, uh, it basically means disciplinarian or instructor. Okay? Disciplinarian or instructor. So really, uh, the law was a disciplinarian. The law was our instructor. So remember Galatia is um, part of the Greek culture. And in the Greek culture, the pedagogy was really a slave, but it was, the, it was that slave's responsibility for the children in the family. In other words, the slave would raise the child. And if you were very wealthy back then, you might have a pedagogy or a disciplinarian or an instructor for each child. So the slave strictly disciplined the child, took the child to and from school, cared for the child, taught the child etiquette and manners, and gave the child moral training. And that did not come from the parents. It came from the what? Tutor, the pedagogy, the disciplinarian, the instructor. All right. The ancients understood better than we that the child need more, far more direct instruction in life skills than merely just going to school. They need it at home as well. And so it was the pedagogy's role to be responsible for the child until the child got to be adult age. And back then, 
they were adults at like the age of 15 or 16. They had far more maturity than a lot of 30 and 40 year olds have in today's culture. Because by the, the age 16, they were really expected to be on their own. So, so what, what, what is this law uh, that really was our pedagogy? Therefore, the law was our tutor. Part of the Jewish law included those laws found in the Old Testament. So when Paul says to the non-Jews that they're no longer bound by these laws, he's not saying that the Old Testament law do not apply to us today. What Paul is trying to say is that certain type of laws may not apply to us. And I've taught on this before, and I want to teach on this again, that I hope and pray will help us to really understand what Paul is dropping on us. So three different categories of the law. Ceremonial law, moral law, civil law, all right? Ceremonial law, moral law, civil law. So let's deal with ceremonial law first. Um, the ceremonial law kind of related to what distinguished Israel from other nations, particularly in their diet, uh, circumcision, and how they worship God. So the primary aspect of the ceremonial law was to really prepare them for Jesus. So the ceremonial law is really no longer necessary after Jesus' death and resurrection. And, and while we are no longer bound by the ceremonial law, the principles are so important. And here's what the principles are to worship and love a holy and righteous God. That still applies. Okay? That still applies to what? Worship and love a holy God. All right? So we're not bound by circumcision. We're not bound by the diet. We're not bound by the wearing of clothes as far as mixed fabrics and stuff like that is concerned. But we are bound by the principle. And the principle is to what? Worship and love a holy and righteous God. Okay? So that's ceremonial. There is also what? The civil law. And, and the civil law basically was the law that dictated Israel's interaction with each other as far as daily lives are concerned. So because we're living in 2022, our society and culture is so radically different that some of the civil laws of the Jews, we don't do today. We can't do today. But the principles should guide our conduct. All right? The principles should guide our conduct. And that is uh, justice and fairness and equity. Okay? The principles should guide our conduct. The final one is the moral law. The moral law. And that is the direct commandments from God, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments 
regardless of culture, regardless of time and place in history, requires our obedience because it is a direct display of the nature and the will of God. And we obey the Ten Commandments not to get saved, but to please God. Okay? We obey the Ten Commandments um, not as a mode or a means of salvation, but we do that because we really want to honor and we want to please God. Okay? And the Ten Commandments, the first four, basically deals with our interaction with God. The last six deals with our interaction with each other. And it is interesting to note that there are more laws that God gave that deals with our interaction with each other than God gave that deals with our interactions with God. But God gave the laws that deal with interacting with God first before he gave the laws that interact with human beings. Because God wants us to understand that if you interact with me right, following these six laws shouldn't be a problem. Okay? All right. So, the law is our tutor, our instructor, our disciplinarian. And that we might be justified by faith, pointed to Jesus Christ so that when we come to Jesus Christ, we realize how short we fell of the law and how much we needed Christ. Because here's what I want to drop on you. Jesus is the only one that kept the law perfect. That's why his righteousness is given to us. So let me wrap this thing up. Let me call it a day. So when we look at verse 25, but after faith has come, we no longer, we are no longer under a tutor. Now that faith has come, we're no longer in need of a disciplinarian. Now that faith has come, we no longer need an instructor. Uh, and I want to be very careful how I unpack this. Because the law's function until Christ came and that people could be justified by faith is better understood when you and I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The law did not lead us to Christ, but it was the disciplinarian until Jesus came. After Jesus came, and gives us salvation based upon faith, people no longer needed the supervision of the law. The law teaches the need for salvation. God's grace gives us that salvation. Let me say it again. The law teaches the need for salvation. All of these 600 plus laws uh, show that you need to be saved because every time we break the law, we sin. God gives us salvation as God's gift towards us. It's unmerited. We can't earn it. We can't pay for it. We can't live enough to get it. It is given to us by 
grace. So here's what blesses me. Here's what shouts me as I get ready to close. The Old Testament still applies today. Huh? Mm-hmm. Here it is. Because when you read the Old Testament, that's why in our Bibles we have what? Old Testament and what? New Testament. When you read the Old Testament, it shows us how God revealed God's nature, how God revealed God's will for humanity, God's moral laws, God's guidelines for living. The law still serves as a demanding instructor for those who have not believed. But we can't be saved by keeping the law. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because verse 25 gives me two words that bless me, but after, but after, but after, or in some translations, now faith, we must trust Christ. The law supervises us until Jesus came. But now that Jesus has come, we respond to God by faith, which means that you and I are no longer bound by legalism. You and I are no longer bound to be mistake free. Now, here's where I want to drill down and I close. Because here's what Paul wants us to understand. That just because you have faith, it is not a one-time experience. Right? Faith comes first when you understand you, don't no, long, you no longer need to be disciplined by the law. All right? Many would like to do away with the supervision of the law but don't want the requirements of faith. Here's where I'm going. Watch this. So Paul wants us to understand that you and I have been crucified with Christ, but you and I got to pursue some things. And here's what he says. Remember, in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's where the rubber meets the road and the crux of the matter is. That you and I are called to live by faith. And if you and I are called to live by faith, Guess what? Living by faith means that we are willing and graciously trying to do all that we can to obey God. That because now I have faith in God through Jesus Christ, I now want to do what God would have for me to do. Not to get in God's good graces, but I do it because I am what? Saved by the grace of God. In other words, and it goes back to some teaching I, I did some time ago, faith without works is what dead. But works without faith is empty. So I don't work to get saved. I work because I am saved. In other words, I don't live right to get saved. I live right because I am what saved. That God, by the person of the Holy Spirit, is doing something within me to help me to become 
more like Christ. More like Christ. All right. I'm going to stop right there. Um, next week, we're going to pick up on verse 26 through 29. And, 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 and those four verses alone in and of itself will glean and gather our attention uh, for the time that we engage in study. But listen, um, as we close out, I want to let you all know that we have the wonderful opportunity as far as our time together uh, to, to give. And here's what I want to share with you, that you and I don't give to get saved. You and I, we don't give uh, to get saved. You and I, we give graciously and generously because the working of the Holy Spirit, our God, your God, our creator, has delivered us from the penalty of sin. And so we do it as a response of grace and appreciation. And so as you prepare to give at this particular time, I want you to know that there are several ways you can give here at St. Paul, even for Bible study, for TNT. First one is that you can mail, check a money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 8205, or if you want to give check, cash, money order, uh, call the church, 704-334-5309, and, um, and, and make sure someone is here at the church to receive your offering, and we'll put it in the safe to include in the following Sunday's count. The second way you can give us through Church Life or ACS uh, through our website. Uh, the third way you can give is through the app called Givelify. You can download that app to your smart device and in three clicks, uh, connect to your favorite card, credit card, and in three clicks, you can give. So as you and I uh, prepare to uh, move from this moment, if you feel so led to, to give, I want to encourage you to do that. You're sowing into great ground. We're doing great work, great ministry at St. Paul Church. And I'm so glad that you are partnering with us as far as us doing life together. So I want to thank you for your time. I hope and pray that you appreciate that uh, you're no longer under the, discipline, the disciplinarian aspect of the law, but you and I have been justified by our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it is because of that that you and I do what we do as far as the work of the kingdom is concerned. But listen, may God bless you. May heaven smile upon you and may God be gracious to you. And let's continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine.